Well, good morning to you. Merry Christmas Eve. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Dean. I'm the lead pastor here. And like I said, we're just thrilled that you've taken the opportunity to come and spend time with us this Christmas season. If today is your first opportunity uh, to be with us, uh, whether you are in the room or online, welcome to those of you who are watching uh, there. I would invite you to go ahead and take out your smartphone or your tablet and type in lpguest.com into the web browser of your phone or your tablet. Um, that'll just uh, give you some tools to help you navigate uh, the morning. There are two things in particular that are there. One is there's a digital guest card that's available there to take you about 30 to 45 seconds to fill that out. I would encourage you to do it. Uh, go ahead and do it uh, right now as we're just getting the service uh, started. As you do that, you will notice that there are six different ministries that we're already partnered with that are listed at the bottom of that card. So uh, you choose the one that's nearest to you, and these are ministries that are doing incredible work uh, around our city. Uh, for example, one of them uh, is in it to end sex trafficking um, in our city. One is teaching um, students the Bible during uh, school hours during the day. Another one is dealing with food insecurity in our city. So you choose the one that you feel like uh, is the most important to you. And um, as you fill that card out, when you submit it, we'll make an extra $5 donation to that particular ministry just to give you the chance uh, to do something good and kind uh, by being with us today and taking that opportunity. The second thing is that there are digital uh, notes that are available uh, for you. They're message notes. They're interactive. You put your notes. Uh, as we go through the message, type them into my notes. You can email those to yourself just as a record or a reminder of something maybe that God says uh, to you uh, this morning. Now, when you came in, uh, we gave you a candle or we tried to give you a candle. And uh, here in a few minutes, we're going to light them with real fire and pass them around the room. So um, if you did not get a candle, if you'll raise your hand, our connections team's in the back. They'll come and they'll bring you one. But I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to give you just a little bit of candle mentoring, okay? Because uh, you all look good, right? You look real sharp today. And if you're not careful in the way that we do this, um, you're going to mess up your Christmas fit, okay? So here's the phrase. Our connections director, Steve Clifton, gave this. It was great. I thought he said, what we need to say is the lit candle does not lean. The lit candle doesn't, which to me sounds like if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit, right? It's a reminder of that. But so the candle's going to be lit, and the, the, the one that is not lit, it leans over and it lights from the one. If not, you do this, you want to, and you want to dump wax all over yourself, right? And that won't just get on your clothes, maybe it'll get on your thumb. And there's one little guy last year got a little wax, and he yelled out right in the middle of the candle lighting moment. Uh, no big deal. He wasn't hurt or harmed uh, in any way. Uh, but It'll just hopefully save you a little grief. Um, the, the message this morning, is a, it's an atypical Christian, Christmas message. It's probably not, it's definitely not something I've talked about before, uh, maybe on, on Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, but um, I hope that it's going to get us connected to the reality of the why behind the Christmas message. So if you've already looked at the notes, um, you've seen the title for the message uh, this morning, um, the old Christmas favorite, Aliens Standing on Business Who Don't Get Shifted. That's the title of the message for you. So Merry Christmas uh, to you, right? A little bit controversial maybe. And um, in that spirit, I thought we would settle a Christmas controversy today as a, as a group. Gardner News Source, they say that the number one, the primo Christmas controversy is real tree versus fake tree, right? There's real tree people and there are fake tree people. You all are not a verbal group, 
So we're going to do thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay? So um, how many real tree people do we have in the real tree people? Fake tree people? You're my people. You fake tree people. You're my people. I'm going to settle the controversy, though, I think, for us. Um, a few years ago, there was a lady who lived in Melbourne, Australia. She went out. She was a real tree uh, person, went out to the tree farm, cut the tree down, brought it home, decorated it, went to bed that night, got up uh, the next morning, flipped the lights on, came downstairs, going to get a cup of coffee, you know, sit there and look at And she noticed an unusual decoration in her tree. I'll show you a picture here um, of her tree. That would be a four-foot-long venomous king snake. Fake tree it is, people. Fake tree it is. We're the winners. We're the winners. We won't even talk about Die Hard, whether or not it's a Christmas movie. I'll just say it's not Christmas to me until I see Hans Gruber fall off Nakatomi Tower, right? It's not, it's not Christmas uh, until, that, until that happens for us. Well, this year, our Christmas message series has been called Love's Pure Light. And we've looked for the last three weeks in Colossians chapter 1 at how Jesus brought us hope and joy and peace. And today, we're going to look at the reality about how Jesus brings us faith. So if you have a copy of the scriptures and you want to turn over, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll start looking uh, in verse 21. It says this, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing um, evil deeds. Right? So, um, two non-Yuletide words there. Aliens and evil. So if I read this passage correctly, I think what um, the modern spin that we could put on what Paul says here is that if you and I don't have a relationship with Jesus, we are evil aliens, right? Happy holidays for you right there, right there. We are evil. We are aliens. That word alien means to be a stranger or a foreigner. So what Paul is saying here is when you and I are born into this world, we're born into this world not knowing God, but separated from God. We are alien to him. We are foreign to who, uh, to who God is. And so you and I walk through this world, and we're searching. We're searching for meaning, value, purpose. Uh, we're searching for significance. We're searching for satisfaction. And I would say that many people in this room would stand to testify to the reality that along the way, we may think we find it. We may be distracted by something for a while because of it, but eventually even that wears out and we find ourselves at the end of the same empty search over and over and over and over again. Now, the frustrating thing for us is this tension that even though we are, um, we are not God, that's the resolve, right, for this issue. We, don't, we can't find salvation inside of ourselves. So the resolve is we go looking for it in, in other places. And the beginning of that, the beginning of the healing, the beginning of the, the find for us is that we have to realize that we are alien. We are not him. To borrow uh, a popular cultural phrase, he's him. And it's not only is he him and we are not him, we're not even close to being him. But that's what surfaces the tension, right? That we're all born into this world of what our church fathers from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago called the Imago Dei, the image of God. So we're born into this world. 
with this image of God. So we have the ability to know God. We have the potential to know God. But then we also find ourselves in that same space where we realize we are not him. So how in the world are we ever going to get to know him if we are, if we are alien to him? So it's a little bit offensive that the scriptures would say that to us, but it's offensive in the best kind of way because it requires us to start by saying, okay, if we are not, we have to humble ourselves to what he says is true instead of what we want to be true, to what we necessarily believe to be true. We have to come to that place where we humble ourselves and say, listen, I'm not him. So what he is must be true for me. So it's offensive, but it's offensive in the best kind of way. Um, I don't know what you think about whenever you hear the word alien. Um, I think about the family of movies, the alien family. I think there's what, five or six maybe of those movies. But the original alien film, 1979, Sigourney Weaver, if you remember, she was the heroine um, on, the, on the ship where the alien shows up. And there's this iconic photo from that movie if you remember, where Sigourney Weaver is leaning up against the wall and the alien thing is right here by her face. And it opens its mouth and then the mouth, remember, comes out of the mouth, right? And it's right here. And you see this stark contrast. That's us. We are alien to who he is one thing and we are a completely, a completely different thing. But the benefit to us is that we understand then that we must outsource salvation, that we can't fix our own problem, that we can't fix our own spiritual issues. That's why the New Testament writer Titus says it this way, not by works of righteousness, which I have done. In other words, I can't be good enough. I can't do enough to earn my way into this relationship with God, not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but by his great mercy, not my mercy, by his great mercy, he has saved us. So that makes uh, verse 22 even more important. Here's what it says. He, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. God is righteous and God is sinless. Even though we are wrong, the beauty of Christmas is that we can be made right. Because what? Because what that verse says. Because in the body of his flesh, Jesus came, right? The reason that Jesus, the peaceful baby in the manger, the thing that we love about Christmas, the humility, right, that's gathered around that, the peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That was not the end. That was only the beginning and the reason that there was peace on earth and goodwill toward men is because Jesus in the body of his flesh was going to grow up, become a man, go to the cross. He was going to die to make payment for your sins and for my sins. He was going to die to become an atonement, a covering over your sins and my sins so that we could be reconciled so that the, the imago Dei, the image of God that is in you and the image of God that is in me, so that not only we have the potential, but now it can become reality because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. That's the amazing thing about Jesus being born. And you know, there's this whole field of alternative uh, history 
right? And writing and film and all those kinds of things. Like, you go back and you change a historical fact. Like, what if the Axis powers had won World War II instead of the Allies winning World War II? How would the map be different? How would the, how would everything, so, you know, well, what would be different if the South would have won the Civil War instead of the North winning the Civil War? How would the country... Some of my extended family aren't sure that war's over yet down there in the South, right down in southern, southern Ohio and down in the southern part of the United States. But how would things, how would they be... So let's do a little Christmas alternative history. Forget about uh, if George Bailey were never born. What if Jesus were never born? Would the world be different? How would the world be different? I can tell you a few things. Medical care would be different. Now, I'm not saying medical care would not exist, but if you think about the reality, how many hospitals, medical centers have been started under the banner of Christianity and directly tied to the name and the reality of Jesus? If you look from the first century when Christianity was really kicked off in the church, right? All the way up by the 15th century, there were 37,000 hospital, hospital from the Christian word hospitality. There were 37,000 hospitals in Europe and the Middle East housed in Benedictine monasteries. How many? We just think about our own city, right? St. Anne's, Mount Carmel, Medical care would be completely, completely different. The world would be different. You think about education. Some of the most well-known educational institutions in our country, Harvard, Princeton, yeah, all started as Christian institutions, Christian education. You think about even locally, uh, Oberlin, Otterbein, Ohio Wesleyan, all started as Christian institutions. Education would be, it would be different. Think about um, how many orphanages and um, food banks, homeless shelters around the world have been started under the name, under the banner of Jesus and still operate that way today. Would the world be, it would be incredibly different had Jesus never been born. But the amazing thing to me is that those things are not even his primary mission. By his own words, his primary mission, he said, that he came to seek and to save the lost, to become a ransom in the body of his flesh, to reconcile us to God. That's why, that's the primary mission in Jesus' coming, right? So Jesus, he was the God-man. He was both God and man, born there in Bethlehem. And the beauty of that is that he fulfills two of the offices of the Old Testament, right? Prophet, priest, king. So he was, the, the prophet stood on God's side, facing the people, speaking for God to the people. The priest stood on the side of the people, but facing God, making a sacrifice, representing the people to, to God. Jesus was both prophet and priest. He was fully God, so he could come and speak in God's behalf. Ed talked to us about that last week. He was the image, the icon of the invisible God in Colossians chapter 1. But at the same time, he was priest because he was man. He could stand on our side, go to the cross, and represent all of us to God. So what he could do is he could grab God by the hand, and he could grab us by the hand, and he could reconcile those two. He could bring us together 
with God. That's the good news of Christmas. There's an NFL receiver. Um, his name's DK Metcalf. He's a receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. And um, he's begun taking um, sign language. Uh, by the way, I'll say thanks. Christine Corner is here today. You can thank her for being here, an ASL uh, interpreter. She teaches at uh, Tree of Life and goes uh, to our Westerville campus. And DK Metcalf has been taking sign language coursework. And a couple of weeks ago, when he scored a touchdown, he had an unusual, uh, an unusual celebration in the end zone. I'll listen to him talk about it post game. Well, I took it one course in college. ASL teacher Ms. Bryant was very cool, and I enjoyed the class. I always try to exercise my mind or try to learn something new. My teacher, we talk over Zoom once a week. We go to Nashville in two weeks. He's from Tennessee, so I was going to try to invite him to the game. It's been very fun just to see him smiling every time we interact or any time I know something that he signs to me. I get to challenge myself to learn something new, bring light to a community who I didn't know felt unseen or forgot about standing on business. I said, okay, I'm using that uh, tomorrow when I score. Everybody can give credit to Boye for that. <laughs> but that was great. Really, really sharp on, on his part. So basically what his sign language instructor was encouraging him in is in the middle of an NFL season, right, when things get, get difficult, that you stand on the work that you've done, all the practice, all the time, all the hours that you put in. So when it comes to a moment, right, like that, the idea is that you're standing, right, on business. And I thought about that, and if you've seen social media, it's kind of become popular over the past um, few weeks. But I thought about that the other day, and I thought, that is us, that we stand on the work, not, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his own mercy. We stand on the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross, resurrected on the third day. And as we stand on that, that gap between us and God is closed. And what we were designed to do and to be and to become becomes reality. The satisfaction that we're looking for, the significance that we're looking for, the value and the meaning, our identity at our core, those questions are answered. That salvation is sourced for us from heaven. That's the meaning of Christmas, that even though we're wrong, even though we're aliens, we can be made right. And when that happens, that makes verse 23 even more important because it gives us a purpose together as a people. Look at what it, uh, look at what it says. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel um, that you've heard. The third thing that Paul says is don't get shifted from the gospel. One of the most difficult things for um, a lot of us is that the way that we come into the faith, the humility that's required for us to come into the faith is to, is to remember that that's the same humility that's required to grow in the faith. A poor part of some American theology at times is that what you and I need to do, right, that's taught this way, that we just need to uh, make a profession of faith, and after you do that, you're in, and you're kind of good. You can kind of go your way and do whatever it is that you want, that you want to do. And Paul says here, no, 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 don't get shifted away from the gospel, this idea that you, we are both undeniably flawed and unbelievably loved through the cross, and that's what heals us initially in the faith, 
And that is what sustains us. The same humility that is required to get into the faith is the same humility on a regular basis that we display before God. We consistently come to him in the context of this gospel message and this gospel reality. Because the same humility that's required to get into the faith is the same humility that's required to grow in the faith. And it's growing in the faith, it's growing in that humility that actually gives you security that you are in the faith. Not that your faith is dependent on your works, not that at all, but it becomes the evidence. And as your humility grows over time, so does your confidence. Your confidence in what Jesus has done for you, it grows simultaneously um, alongside those two things that grow together. Paul says, don't get shifted from that. I was, um, I was blessed to coach my kids in, uh, in basketball, starting in grade school, um, through middle school, and some even in high school. And it never failed that uh, during basketball season, especially when my kids were working hard and doing, doing drills, that I would find myself in the living room or in the kitchen, and one of my kids uh, would come up to me and they would treat me like a defense, like they didn't have a real ball or anything, but they'd come up to me like this. They do a little spin move. Oh, you know, like they, like they, and you know, the origin, that little whole idea of making a little shake and bake move, right? The origin of that in my mind in modern basketball is Allen Iverson, regardless of how you feel about Allen Iverson and talking about practice and all that. But the Allen Iverson crossover was legendary, right? He, he had a way, right? He had a big wide crossover and then he had a double cross. And there are all these, you go back and watch clips. Defenders would just fall down, right? For a hot second, we called that breaking somebody's ankles, right? Like you break their ankles and they, just, and they just fall down. And Paul's point here in the text, I think, is, Paul says, be really careful. Be really careful that you don't get shifted away from this gospel message, that you keep coming back to it over and over and over again. Because if you get shifted, you're going to get your spiritual ankles broken, and you're going to find yourself isolated and alone and bitter because you're not focusing your faith, right? Jesus came to bring us faith. You're not focusing, right, on faith. You end up focusing on other individuals. That's what happens. So many of us, we, we, we get into faith, right? We want, to, we want to take that initial step. And then somewhere over time, what happens is we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start looking at other people and we compare ourselves to other people. And as we do that, our faith tends to diminish. That's why the New Testament says looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, right? We stand on his work, the author and the finisher of our faith, that we focus on him because when we don't, we look at each other and what's gonna happen? We're imperfect people. We're gonna hurt each other. We're gonna disappoint each other. I've, been blessed to be here next year will be 20 years to be the lead pastor and I don't know how many times that I've said it if you thank you I don't know how many times I've said to you if you hang around here long enough I will disappoint you I'm not only an imperfect pastor I'm an imperfect human being and if you uh, put your eyes on anyone other if your if your primary focus is on anyone other than Jesus, if that becomes your focus, you're gonna be 
you're going to be disappointed. So Paul says, listen, don't get shifted away from the gospel. Eyes up, eyes on him, because the reason that he came at Christmas so that he could go to the cross, be resurrected, ascend back to the heaven, ascend back to the Father, and he sits there today to make intercession for you and me, awaiting us to come and to be, so that we can be restored to everything that he dreamed that we could be. Which means this, this New Testament thing called the church has incredible potential. And you're like, well, let me tell you what happened. I understand. Churches are made up of imperfect people. And there are times where we're all going to get our feelings hurt. There are times where um, something's going to be said the wrong way. Something's going to be done the wrong but that, But that's never the intention of Jesus. Um, there's a cultural theologian, his name's Andy Crouch. And he says that Romans chapter 16 is the most sociologically impressive chapter in all the Bible. He, the way he says it, he says it's the least preached chapter in the most preached book. And it, again, if you've been around here for a while, you know when we teach through New Testament epistles, the last chapter oftentimes is my favorite. It's the list of names of all the people and how they're interrelated and interconnected. And Crouch, he points out Romans chapter 16, verse 22, that says this. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So the, uh, the, the book of Romans was a letter written to these Roman Christians, and Paul is the one who dictated the letter, but Tertius is the scribe. Tertius is the amanuensis who wrote the letter down in Evidently, Paul gets to this point where he says, hey, Tertius, you, you ought to say hello. Now, that's interesting. Yeah, what's so sociologically impressive about it? Well, here's what's interesting. Tertius is the Greek word third. Many times, um, household slaves in the Roman world, when they were born, they were not given names. They were persona non grata, in their culture. They were solely, so, so when a, a household servant or a household slave, whenever they had children, the first child was named first. The second one was named second. The third one was named third. That's the word tertius, means third. The fourth one would be named fourth. And so, and speaking of fourth, look at the next verse, verse 23. It says this, and Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church, greets you, Erastus, the city treasurer. So you've got these two guys, right? Gaius, who is wealthy enough and established enough that he can host the whole church in his home. Then you've got Erastus, who's the city treasurer, who is part of the church, extending the gospel in their community. And then, and our brother, Quartus, fourth, most likely the brother of Tertius, who is third, this is unparalleled in the writings of the ancient world. Here you have people, you have Gaius and Erastus, somebody of, of higher social status, and you have Tertius and, and Quartus who are lower status culturally in their community, and you see them come together to the degree that Paul says, Tertius, you should greet the people. You're a brother. 
It's this beautiful thing. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter male, female. It doesn't, it doesn't matter your ethnicity. The church is this beautiful thing that God brings us together. Why? Because we all are humbled into it. We're all the same. We're all sinful. We all need the same Jesus. We all need the same cross, the same sacrifice. So we all come into it in the same way. It's the one place in the world where people with varied backgrounds, with um, varied political opinions, with varied uh, practices in regards to things like finances and all that can come together around a common core. It's beautiful when it operates underneath the authority of Jesus, which won't always be exactly right. So you're always gonna have this tension always going to have this this imperfect perfect thing and I would just encourage you you need a church you're like I don't really I don't know well the New Testament says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is you need the church and the church needs you your passion your value your gifting as part of the body so don't let imperfect people keep you from a perfect Savior Think about it like this. Did the other 11 disciples allow Judas's failure to keep them from believing in Jesus? They didn't say, oh man, Judas, look what he did. Oh, I'm out, right? Actually, it's just the opposite. It seems like they lean in more because of that, because they understand and they see their own, their own need. And that's why Isaiah, back in the Old Testament, chapter 50, verse 10, he says, let them who walk in darkness, let them who walk in darkness have no light Trust in the name of the Lord. So we're going to, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song in a minute. Actually, two people are going to sing the song uh, for you, to you. And the, the message of the song, so start, I mean, right from the beginning, I pray we'll find your light. Not my light, not your light, but I pray we'll find your light. Why? Because times are dark. And it's not, we can't generate light but we can be connected. So lead us to a place and guide us with your grace, not my grace, not your grace, not my mercy, not your, guide us with your grace and bring, it, bring us to that place where what? Where we can, be, we can be right with you, safe with you, saved by you in biblical community, our focus, our eyes up on you, not on, not on one another. When that song is done, our connections team will come down the aisle. They'll begin lighting candles, and we'll sing a medley of Christmas hymns together. I call them hymns. They're not carols. It's not, you think about what we're singing. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy, not by works of righteousness, which I've done, but according to your great mercy, and mercy, my what? God and sinners, that's me and you. God and sinners, us aliens, God and sinners, what? reconciled. The theology that we are singing is a reflection of the fact that God came to earth in the person of Jesus to seek and save the lost, to give his life as a ransom for many. So because of that, the night is divine. So because, because of that, it is hark the herald, it is angel saying, and because of that, it is a way in a manger. May God help us to keep our eyes on him. Let's pray together. 
Lord, we lay our lives in front of you before, God, we do all the Christmas stuff. God, I pray that we're not distracted away from the fact that you are God and we are not. That, God, we are standing on your work. And God, help us this Christmas season to do our best, to not get shifted away from the gospel. This has been, in some ways, God, a difficult year for many people who are in the room today. There have been highs, there have certainly been lows. So God, I pray that you will be their light, that you will be near to them, that you will do in them what only you can do. So God, we're saying that we entrust ourselves to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Oh, no, no. 
standing. If you want to stand with us, we're going to sing right now some hymns together to worship the Lord and his goodness. Right. 
Jesus, Lord, at thy 